from just west of the Ward Place Gate on the San Diego campus of Seton Hall University. He is the prodigal son of Marlboro Township, Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, class of 2001. I am persona non grata at the Maplewood Municipal Pool, Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997. We are the number one Seton Hall Pirate podcast in San Diego. We are Left Coast Pirates. And good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? Good afternoon, Tommy. Doing well. How about yourself? Oh, I, it could be a little better. Let's just say we are recording this about 24 hours after the Marquette game, so it always could be a little better. I'm going to start off with the sour grapes already. Here we go. I am a true Seton Hall fan. I look at the dark side first, and then we go and talk about happiness. Yeah, but do you remember that we haven't done one of these since the start of the Big East regular season, which is five games deep already, so... Please tell me we're going to uh, like highlight and expound upon some of the positives that have occurred to this point. Well, in typical Seton Hall season, we started high. We hit that valley. We went up high again. Just call it a rose coaster. Get to the point already. <laughs> Michael's in a bad mood. It's like someone didn't get your lunch fast enough for you. There might be some truth to that, but let's move forward. Okay, let's start off with some good news. Opening night, St. John's at the Rock. We win it in the last second fashion. The place goes nuts. I call Hall Line. It's exciting. What are you thinking, Michael? I, I never define you calling Hall Line as exciting. But look, 76 to 74, big shot. A uh, lot of drama surrounding that last shot. So let, let, let's talk about it. I, I know you were not happy the fact that St. John's came out and punched him in the mouth. Well, before that, I want to say especially I wasn't happy with the scheduling at Fox Sports. On that night, they had some pregame UFC nonsense going on on one of the Fox Sports channels, and they had Butler Nova women's game. Now... The women deserve some time on TV as much as the men do. But I'm thinking you've got St. John's Seton Hall. That's the game you broadcast. Look, look, you throw me a curveball here. This is not my uh, pre-podcast notes. This is why I DVR the game. I get right past all the BS and right to the opening tip-off. Yes, the Johnnies punched them in the mouth to start. It looked like the boys weren't ready to play. And this was extremely disappointing, especially after the Maryland game where they came out at Maryland and punched them in the mouth. I'm annoyed because the style that they came out and played, the five around the perimeter, attacked the basket, very athletic. That shouldn't have been a shock, and it seemed like they weren't ready for that. And it was more shocking because Pons, while he was playing the distributor and, and doing his thing as a point guard, he wasn't scoring. No, he was uh, playing to what the, the, the Pirates allowed for him to get. And it wasn't to get his shot at that point. It was to facilitate and get the rest of his players involved. And he did. And then we were kind of shell-shocked. But as we thought was going to be the major weakness with the Johnnies, they are a very short team. Not short in height. Well, maybe a little short in stature, but... 
more like their bench isn't that deep. Well, how about we don't just take shots at St. John's and give a little credibility to the fact that this team has some depth and Kevin did a great job of working the rotation, getting guys minutes, and that's what contributed to wearing them down as well. Well, you didn't let me finish my thought, but okay. But you're, you are correct. We wore them down with our depth. It was nice to see the rotations in that point. We're wearing them down. We're using guys. We're keeping people fresh. It's encouraging because some of the question marks that we had going to this season, those were pieces we were relying on to create that competitive disadvantage. And I don't think St. John's or many other teams around the Big East have that kind of luxury right now. So that was encouraging. And then, let me set the stage. I'm listening to iHeartRadio, the WSOU broadcast. I'm following it on GameCast. And it goes slow for a second. And the next thing I know, the announcer says, Reynolds gets the ball. And I'm thinking, I'm literally thinking to myself, Reynolds who? And then I realized it's Shavar hitting the game-winning three. And what's your problem with that? I mean, I, we win the game. I, it was no, euphoria. I mean, the, the place was going nuts. It's a great story. And I, you're I have no problem with it, Mike. I'm just saying I was so shocked that that occurred. You and then I get you, to the... Wait, wait, wait. You were shocked he was even on the court. Without a doubt. There's not really a good reason for him to be on the court there. Well, according to Kevin, he's like the second or third best shooter on a roster. And his statistics don't bear that out. That's I, a lot of coach speak. And Miles also said the reason why he's so good this year is because Shavar guards him in practice every day. <laughs> I hope he does more than just recover uh, at practice. Look, if you, if you digress and go into how that play kind of developed, Powell was more of a decoy. Mamo gets the ball, a couple of dribbles to the basket, and we could criticize that. He's two feet from the bucket, and he's kicking it out. I'm not so sure Miles was a decoy as much as they just prevented the inbounds, and, and it had to go to Sandro as option two. And, yes, so Sandro drives to the basket. He's, he's within a couple feet for whatever reason. I think he might have felt like he gotten stripped earlier in the game, so he didn't want to have that chance. Shavar was open. Shavar hit it. He got hit. He went to the line for a point and euphoria. And that's another issue of that play that everyone complains about. Oh, Shavar is not going to hit that shot. He got fouled. So he's hitting 100% from the line prior to missing that last free throw strategically. So we're down one. You didn't have the confidence that he's going to hit two out of three and win the game anyway? I don't know. I don't know what it's like. It's a lot different hitting the foul shots in the game as the flow is going than actually being at the line, potentially with no one else on the line, with the game on the line. Is he hitting them? Maybe. See, I, I thought you would have complained that we shouldn't even had that possession. I mean, the, the play before that, the, the, the story of the game is the rest bungled that call. We tried to force the ball to Powell, and they were obviously front-guarding him like they did on the play to Shavar anyway, and that ball shouldn't have been ours. They got the explanation right. The call was bad, but that kind of stuff happens. And if it was against us, I'd be losing my mind. There's a conspiracy against Seton Hall. They're sending us to the, to the West every year for the NCAA tournament. You're right, but it happens. So stuff happens, and the ball finds his hands into Javar Reynolds, and he makes the shot, and now we're going to criticize? 
just who made the shot? No, it's not a criticism, but I don't want to hear it from people saying that he's developed into something he's not. That's his Bucky Dent moment. God bless him. And if he turns into a successful player next year and a year after that, fabulous. But he's not there. Fine. I don't want to make this a Shavar Reynolds uh, you know, debate. But when Bucky Dents hits the home run and we go back look years, looking years later, they don't say they was a, a bad win by the Yankees. No, but you're going to tell me that that a little bit of luck involved? I'm going to look back and St. John's is one of the better teams projected in the Big East. It's a win. It's a win. It's a win. All right, moving on. Moving All right, on. you got me fired up and we're on the first topic. And then we take it to the first true road test and we pass. Seton Hall, 80, Xavier, 70. Powell played a man's game. I'm looking back at that moment and saying Biggie's player of the year. I'm looking back and I'm thinking that's all American candidate on that. That was a game where he kind of put us on our back and willed us to the wind down the stretch. I mean, as that game got tight and it was like, it was like 65, 65 and he hit the three to put him up 68, 65 in my head. I was like game over. I, I've seen Terry the hair do things like that. That was them. Him saying, we're not losing. I'll take us to the promised land. I'll do whatever it takes to get there. Look, I, I give Xavier credit. They come back and they hit the three to tie it at 68. And most teams you would have been like, oh man, I don't know how they're going to react. Crowds right back into it. They answered Powell's three. And then he hits that little sweet step back baseline two and that's a man's move right there michael if i would have told you sometime in november that romero gill was going to be a difference maker in that game what would you have you said i think we're nuts we started off with these possibly five fouls in the initial podcast we said whoa bc ex exhibition game we might get some productivity but now i'm not shocked anymore he's done it in the maryland game he's done it in the rutgers game he was clearly the game changer on the court uh strategically he was in the heads of the butler uh, excuse me the xavier players hankings was going off for a career night and then he did nothing in the second half. Two out of his 20 points. That's that's a credit to Gil. I don't know that we're used to seeing someone like that doing that. I, I, I'm going to be extreme us. myself now because I'm going to go back to the, uh, the Big East glory days with Patrick Ewing. There was a point when he was a freshman in the national championship game where John Thompson says, I don't care. The first five shots that go up, I want you swatting everything back, whether it's a goaltender or not, just to get into the heads of the opponent. And that, that's when I kind of felt from Gil there. There was a couple shots where you're like, oh, that's a, that's a goaltend. But you could tell that they were clearly – apprehensive going to the rim for the rest of the game on a tangent though i'll tell you I, I like the way the travel schedule is breaking down so far it, it's not like we're spending three nights in a row in the midwest so we get we went we came back and then we go back out to the midwest and we blow a game against the paul 75 74 this was the game that we said, no, th this is one of those games where we have to we have to take, we sweep the ball, and that's how we get to a certain win total. This has got to be a big letdown. It felt like when we looked at the first three games in like a, you know, a mini microcosm, you'd sign up for two and one. But the minute you beat Xavier and you pull out that game in St. John's, you look at the opponent on the paper and you go, three and oh is right there. 
top 25, the way that the schedule lined up and the way that the rest of the country was kind of falling apart in the top 25, it was ours for the taking. So all of a sudden, it didn't feel like two and one was acceptable anymore. So I get it. And it seems like we were down big again. We were doing these hockey game style substitutions where we had this mass substitutions here and there like Willard was doing last year where you had a couple of seniors on and all of a sudden you had guys that never played before. I thought he got away from that. He kind of regressed a little bit and went back to this game. It kind of backfired. I don't think that's where we lost this game. I don't. But it's a portion of it, Michael. It's not the reason, but it's kind of leading to it. Fine, but we got away from the identity of who this team was. If he thought he had more confidence in his bench and they didn't step up, okay, fine. But this team has lived in the paint. We've attacked the basket. Uh, We're shooting better from the free throw line at 70% this year. And then I look at the box score, and it felt this way. 27 three-point attempts, the most attempts in any game so far this season, and they only made seven. So you shoot 26% from the four behind the three-point line, you're going to lose. We've got way too many people with green lights from the three that deserve it. I I looked at this for a short time period and broke down by per player after that game. Miles was like shooting 38% on the season, including the numbers from that game. And other than Q, everybody else was sub 35%, including guys that were like two of 21 for the season. And they still have the green light. I just don't get it. Well, we made our run in the second half as we've been wont to do this season so far. But the last two two minutes were questionable. DePaul scores its last point about 145, 148, somewhere around there. We have two full minutes. We have like three sets of possessions, and and we blow it. It's going to happen. Every time you play these close, grind it out, have to make a play in the last couple of minutes, sometimes it's going to go your way, sometimes it's not. You expect it against maybe a Nova, a Marquette, don't Paul? You were expected because you're getting spoiled. They did it against Maryland. They did it against St. John's. And we didn't even talk about it. The last four possessions against Xavier were spot on. They were passing the ball. It wasn't one guy dominating. It was solid. So it didn't happen. Miles took a bad three, and they didn't have the right or the best final play drawn up. It's I, it, almost two minutes of basketball. Okay, coach. We're talking one point to tie i don't believe the guys made good decisions with the ball at that point there were there were a couple bad shots this is what you have to perfect if you're going to go down mike we've been talking about a team that has a tendency to get down early and then rush back mad rushes back over the last 20 minutes of the game that's what you got you cannot have them play the last two minutes of a game against a team like DePaul if you're not going to expect at least one good execution. So as much as we wanted to praise Powell for what he did in the Xavier game, you got to look in the mirror and start with him. I mean, he makes the three-pointer to cut it to one, which was on a broken play after Mamu misses a dunk. And the ball comes back out to him. And then the next possession down, what's he doing? He's rushing a three, trying to draw a foul, air ball. Everybody wants to criticize these last play executions. If I'm evaluating the coach, and I know we want to pick on Willard, I'm like first in line normally. But if I can get an open look at the basket in a last five-second scenario, I'm very happy with what the coach put on paper. They draw it up. He Powell's inbounding the ball, and everybody wants to kill Willard. Oh, if he's inbounding the ball, he's not going to get the ball back. And... 
Sometimes the inbounds passer is the guy, the lost, forgotten guy. But to their credit, DePaul did a good job. He passes the ball to Mamu. They both double Powell, and he can't get the ball back. I think Mamu did the right thing. He immediately reads the play, looks towards the basket. He shouldn't have settled for a three, but he got an open look. He did get an open look, but again, here's a decision that Mamu kind of made. This one didn't work out for him. He had an open lane in front of him, 3.6 seconds to get there. He could have gotten into like a 12-foot shot taking that. I don't think he does, didn't though. Need, you didn't need a three. You go to the hole. You got to give the context of the entire moment, and they still had a foul to give. So just like we saw in this Marquette game, if there's a ball that gets put on the floor for a dribble or two, it's an easy grab, and then all of a sudden we're two seconds or less inbounding the ball again. It's not the right shot. The point is, you can break down that game and say that what the fact that we got down in two separate instances by double digits, that should be the criticism, not the last play of the game. So the roller coaster ride continues, and we head home to the Rock, and we face Butler. We win the game 76-75, and here's another example of Miles Powell saying this one's not getting away from us. It wasn't pretty, though. I mean, he was the best player on the floor by far, but I'm, I wasn't feeling great about this game. But a win's a win again. I'm thinking at this point we're starting to see a pattern, and the pattern is we have rock fights. It's not going to be a pretty up-and-down affair. We're going to bust people with defense. It's going to be ugly. This is what we have on this team. See, that this is where like you not being able to see the game cast kind of skews the perspective. Michael, I watched one game cast because FS1 did not have it. Don't give me this nonsense. So they could have easily gotten down this game early as well just Butler was just as bad as us. I mean, it was just bad basketball. It was like, what, like 9-8 it, like the under 12 mark or something like that? It, it, it seemed almost like what they say about tennis matches is that the tennis matches depend on the style of each player, and it's this wasn't pretty styles. No, and I think we've also played up or down to the level of our competition instead of dictating tempo. They could have put this team away. They got up by nine and a half, as ugly as it was, and you were like, wow, nine? I'll take it. And then they missed six consecutive free throws spread out from the first half into the second half and collectively were one out of ten during a stretch. That should have remained a double-digit game the entire second half, and our poor free throw shooting and turnovers let them right back into the game. It wasn't pretty. Inside, we were getting dominated by Joey Brunk. Joey Brunk. Joey Brunk. You're going to tell me he was the Division II player of the year last year as well? Some guys have good games. They just tend to happen more often than not against us. <laughs> he was he was sitting there, like, punctuating moves with his finger down, like, yeah. and one. You yeah. know, this yeah. kid looked all American all of a sudden. Here's the part that I don't understand. Our defense this year has been very, very good. It's our calling card, yet some guys still find a way to go off to the career highs against us. It's like this endless theme for the last couple of years. And as well as Mamu played against Marquette, which we'll get to in a second, man, he was nowhere to be found in this game. He had a bad game. Powell is going to have his ups and downs, hopefully not off than anybody else on the team, but we're already seeing it. Kale has been inconsistent. Mamu has been inconsistent. I just, he didn't have a good game. I agree. But let's highlight what we got out of that from a positive. Brody got 19 minutes out of Brody in that game. 
Darnell Brody. Did you see that coming? You asked me about Gill. Did you see that coming? This may be the last time we mentioned Darnell Brody on a podcast. Right. But to sit there and say, hey, he made a contribution, that'd be one thing. That'd be like five minutes, a bucket, a couple of rebounds. He put up 19 minutes when previously for the entire season, he had logged 12 minutes total. Three points, six rebounds. And I know Brunk had a career high, but he sustained things. He he looked he looked good enough to be a substitution. He did. He he got in there. He didn't look overwhelmed. He he made a few plays. There was actually a really nice exchange where Shavar drove, gave him a little dish, and he put up a little bank shot or a little hook shot. Please please nice mark move. the the date and time. Tom has just complimented Shavar Reynolds and Denal Brody in the same sentence. I have made my peace with Shavar playing. I don't understand why he's playing as much as he does. If he was pulling off a Rashad Anthony kind of set of minutes, it is what it is. It wasn't a pretty game, but it was a collective effort. Let's so. talk about that last play, though, Mike. You're talking about the play that, that you didn't want to see Mamo get after he was already one for six from the line, and you were like, uh-oh, up two? What, let, uh, you always talk contacts. Let's put it in. Okay, so Coach runs a play that he has only run four times previously, and he's never run it with two of the guys on the floor already, and he's drawn up right there in the huddle during the timeout, and the play was to execute the sneaky inbound the ball back out of bounds to kind of throw off the defense, and it worked like a charm. So McKnight passes it to Shavar out of bounds. He immediately gives it to Powell. Everybody converges to Powell. McKnight sneaks around the back door to midcourt, goes back to McKnight. McKnight to Kale. Kale to Mamu. No, no, yes. There might have been two dribbles in that entire sequence. The ball probably traveled 150 feet on passes. It looked great. Mamu went strong. We all kind of held our breath as he went to the hole. Please, please just go in so you don't have to go to the line again. Yeah, look, if he had to go back to the line after the psychological mess that he was going through with the prior one to six, he's probably hitting one if you're lucky. And they have a shot to tie. The end of the day, the kudos needs to go to coach. He just does. That's a great play. Now, let me ask you. That's a good that's good for my and Mamu's psyche. Hitting that last shot to kind of put it ahead. Does that carry in to his play against Marquette? No, I, I don't think it correlates. I, I don't. I think he was just in the right place at the right moment. It's nice to show that Willard has the confidence of him to be in that spot, knowing that the ball is probably going to end up in his hands at the end of the line relative to the fact that he's having a rough game from the free throw line. And that's what was probably was needed to ice the game. The fans for Butler were screaming and yelling, saying that they gave the foul before he went up for the layup. They clearly thought he should have been on the line. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, he they didn't really get him all that well with that foul. It could have been called. A lot of things could. You're not getting that call. So speaking of things that could have been called, we then move on to a house money type game at Marquette. So now you're 3-1. and one. You're right where we need to be from a schedule perspective. You're traveling at Marquette, uh, top 25 matchup. Really difficult place to play. And I'm thinking, be respectable. Keep it close. Maybe you steal one. And all of a sudden, back down early again. 12 turnovers, double-digit deficit. But they fight back. So the resiliency of this team has been its hallmark. 
It's grit. It's never going to kind of get punched in the face and hopefully not be able to get back up from the mat. It's happened numerous times now. So it happens again. And I felt like they were in a position to make a national statement with where they are in the Big East and being back in the top 25 potentially again. And I'm going to complain. And I never complain about the refs. We got a lot of good games out of people that have been quiet for the past couple games. We got a really great game from Sandro. He did. Came, the scoring, out, came out hot early. The scoring came in spurts, but he played a really good game. He went hard to the basket. To your point, he didn't get calls where he probably should have, but he went hard. He wasn't going soft. Enzi had a pretty good game. And, and I like the fire Enzi's shown so far in the Big East in the Big East season. He's not backing down from some of these other big guys. Everybody had a, what I thought was a solid game. You could pick on some other performances, but I can't get away from the refs in this ball game. I want a fair whistle. I'm not going to complain about one play here, one play there, i.e. the St. John's game, but 24 to 9 in the free throw disparity. And Marquette is a team that does not attack the basket. They don't put pressure on the paint. They like to like tippy toe around the three point line. And that was no different this game. We attacked all game long. We had a what plus 20 differential in points in the paint and minus 15, minus 15 in total free throws. And we were going hard to the basket. Every possession. Powell was getting knocked down. Mamu was getting messed up. Look, I'm a longtime Knicks fan, and maybe that kind of sullies me because I'm sorry. It kind of sullies me because I had to watch the Michael Jordan superstar treatment against my Knicks over the years, where you that guy kind of earns the call. I I get that. I've accepted it over the years. Did I, that? Did that not happen to Marcus Howard yesterday? I get that Marcus Howard at home gets burped at in his general direction. He's going to go to the line. There was one, I Mamu, Mamu fell to the ground, and they ended up calling a, a foul, I believe, on Powell. Yeah, who was I, like out of bounds. I don't understand yeah, I, it. I don't know. I think they blew the whistle and just said, we got to call it on somebody, and we can't call it on the guy who fell and was a foot away from the player. But they overcame that. That all happened in the first half. And now when we take a three-point lead in the second half, and he's getting ticky-tack elbow stuff when – Everybody else is playing tackle football out there. But to finish my thought, doesn't Miles Powell get the benefit of the doubt on that as well? Absolutely. He's supposed to, but didn't happen in this game. Okay. And, and, and again, it comes down to execution of the final few plays. And I'm going to take a little bit of umbrage with what we ended up having. Go ahead. Okay. Q takes the final three. He gets fouled. They don't call it. I get it. But I don't know that I want to go down with my changeup instead of my fastball. It's going to happen. It doesn't have to, but we've already seen it now for two or three games prior where let's do this. Let's go all the way back to the Louisville game where Chris Mack knew that Powell was going to get the ball. So they had that scouted and he took a horrendous three pointer that had no shot of going in and we lose that game ever since the play is drawn up to go to Powell, but everybody's overplayed it. And the rest of the team is going to have to step up and make plays. And we've seen it happen. Sometimes Mama was going to make the shot. He passes to Trevor, whatever. Q was the open guy. He got fouled. And he had a good open look. He, Don't, he, he, again, didn't for, he didn't force it. He it took a shot. Feel, but it feels like we went to option four. I get it. You want to go down with your best player taking the best shot. 
However, in back-to-back games in similar moments like this, Powell hasn't done that. He forced the shot against the ball, and the possession before, he forced the three. He tried to do that, like, James Harden rip-through move on the defender, which is a foul also. But in that game, the way it was being called, he wasn't getting that called. We're down one at that moment. He should attack the basket and get to the line, or or try to at least. In general, though, we did show we can play with Marquette. They, they are not that, I'm sorry to say, I'm, this is going to sound like sour grapes, they're not that impressive of a team. If Marcus Howard doesn't go off for 50 against Creighton, they don't win that game. I, I know you're bitter. Because it's a tough pill to swallow. It was the game was right there for the taking, but you gotta take away positives. I, I agree. We we can hang with them. We shut them down. It was a seventy to sixty six ball game when Marquette likes to play in the high eighties at their place, and they probably should have. Howard goes off for eighteen in the first half, get getting what he wants. We held him to thirty points total as a team in the second half. Howard only scores eight, has five turnovers, seven for twenty. Every number I can throw at you speaks volumes to the defense that this team played. And Q did a fabulous job on him, forcing him to work hard. The defense travels. Defense always travels. When you could have off night shooting, if you play the defense that this team plays, they're going to be in games. That's encouraging. Well, three and two in Biggie's play so far. I think both of us would have signed up for that at the beginning of the season. We should be at a four and one clip here, which it doesn't sound like a difference, but it is. It's a difference when I'm trying to back up the proclamation of being Biggie's regular season title champs. You're four and one. You're in the mix. Everybody else is beating each other up. The only person who's rising to the top is once again Villanova. They won again today, and they're four and zero, oh, and they got what like a two game cushion on everybody else besides Marquette. You want to be that team with that game down in the spectrum, or excuse me, is it the spectrum anymore? No, uh, the spectrum's been the gone Verizon Center. Wherever the heck they play. We're not getting them on the on-campus uh, auxiliary gym. So we might actually have a shot. The next couple games at 4-1, and one, you're you're stamping your ticket to the tournament. You're putting yourself in a position for a really good seed. And, and yeah, you could be the top, if not the Big East regular season champ. 3-2, and two, yeah, a lot of work to do still. We get that Big East title. Willard gets an extension for... Willard's got a job for life in blue if he wants it. This season's been kind of amazing so far. But as excited as we are and as close we were to that 4-1 and one and the, the precipice's greatness, the next couple of games are not easy. No. This is the point of the season where I mentioned at, at our out-of-conference recap that is going to test the medal for this team. This was game one. We go to Providence next. I believe after that we have a tune-up. Now it's a revenge game. They're actually marketing it as a revenge DePaul, game DePaul against had, DePaul. DePaul has two wins. They're not in the basement. Yeah, again, yeah. their second win was against St. John's with Ponds not playing. They still won on the road. How would you like to be a St. John's fan right I'm now? I'm just going to jump for on Chris- the DePaul bandwagon now so that once again, when, when, when they finish in the top half of the conference, uh, you can say, I heard it here first. Chris Mullins' head. That's what they're calling yeah, for. Yeah, that's a tough loss. I, I get I, it. Th- well, the St. John's fans could come and borrow the torches and pitchforks from us, and they could go run after Chris Mullin. The point is, you're right. They come back after this Providence game, and they have to beat DePaul at home. I'm annoyed that they don't sweep DePaul in general. 
but you got to get the DePaul game, and then you're at the at Villanova, and that's it is what it is. It's a big game. It's going to be an exciting couple of weeks, Mike. Let's do one more thing. We, we looked at the first four games and said three and one. You sign on the dotted line. Just lost to Marquette. Let's look at it as a four-game segment at Providence, home to Paul, at Villanova. If I told you they finished that four-game segment two and two, you take it? I would have been happy with it. Okay, so Providence I'll still be three. happy with it. Providence is 0-3. They're probably angry. Just lost a tough double overtime game at Georgetown. So maybe they're worn down. I could be wrong. But they're going to be angry looking for that first conference win back at home. Sure. I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it's easy. You're asking me what I would take. I two get, and two. I got to get that game. Oh, I, You have to because DePaul all of a sudden is no gimme. Uh, <laughs> you laugh. You got you to protect your home court. And you got to beat the bottom half of the conference on the road. So that's where Providence and DePaul are kind of shaking out. I got to win these next two games. For Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, I'm Tommy Chokoharski, and this has been Left Coast Pirates. (laughs)